Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning, I'm Michelle Martin. Asia Pacific markets are trading mixed this morning following a night of selling on Wall Street. Joining me now as we break down all the action, the man behind the Dividend Titan Finance blog, Willie Kang, how are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm great. Yeah, <laughs> looking good today. So this is the final day you're with us. Yes. <laughs> looking forward to the long weekend as well. What are you going to be doing? Well, I'm going to bring my kids over to Legoland, but I heard it's going to be a huge, going to be a long jam across the causeway. So we are praying that we won't get stuck in a jam. Oh, okay. And you plan to beat the crowds, right? Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, we're going to set off in the morning. Hopefully, we can at least get there on time. Well, good luck with that. Have lots of fun with the little ones in Legoland. Thank you. We start this morning once again in the financial sector with struggling banks as we have fresh indication of which financial institution is facing the biggest bet by short sellers. And surprisingly, the bank in question is no, not in Europe. Uh, so you can rule out Switzerland, you can rule out Germany. It's not in the United States, so forget about Silicon Valley and New York maybe. Where is this next bank that could possibly fail, you ask? Okay, Willie, which is the bank? Oh, tell me about the country that's home to the bank that most short sellers think could fail next. <laughs> so this is in a country which is up north, uh, which is in the very cold, very cold country of Canada. And the short sellers are right now targeting um, the Toronto Dominion Bank or the TD Bank the second largest bank in Canada. And they have roughly about $3.7 billion on the line um, shorting the stock of the Canadian's second largest bank. I mean, this come, this come on board as the targeted TD Bank has roughly about 10% stake in Charles Swap, which has this broker, which has recently lost about seven, $47 billion in market value. And also the short seller also is targeting TD's position in the Canada's housing market because TD Bank also have a relatively large position to the mortgages and the home loans in Canada. So this variable mortgages, rate mortgages are common and consumer insolvencies, insolvencies are also on the rise. So interestingly, that TD shares, uh, which are available for trading, they have a relatively uh, low low percentage of shares which are being shorted. Uh, most of this, most of these short sellers, they typically target um, these banks as a result from a banking turmoil just to take on a quick profit. So they are, it is not just TD Bank, but you also have the other US banks as well, like BM, uh, Bank of America, JP Morgan, uh, Citigroup and T. Rao Price, even European banks like BMP, uh, PMP Paribas, are also being shorted. So uh, these short bets are usually um, capitalized or taken advantage by some of these traders wanting to make a quick profit and also to also target um, some of these um, large, highly liquid banks as well. But the thing is, right, for mm. these Canadian banks, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them, they tend to be more well capitalized um, largely because they are backed by a pretty pretty strong assets of property loans and mortgages. Um, if you see for TD, TD Bank, right, they typically tend to have very, a very, very strong deposit bank uh, which means that they might not have any immediate liquidity issues as compared to, say, Silicon Valley Bank or even uh, Signature Bank as well. So while the, ta- the short sellers are targeting some of these Canadian uh, lenders, but I don't think they might make a huge profit out of it, number one, because um, some of these banks are already well well capitalized. So I don't really see 
them really having a major issue compared, say, for example, to some of the other European lenders. Do you think the, the issues or fears around the Canadian housing market are being projected and fueling this short mm, So, So that that could be a possible reason as well but you know you don't just look at um, subprime mortgages but you also are looking at the prime mortgages as well because the Canadian housing market is actually still finite, uh, still uh, well backed by very strong credit rated consumers or mortgage payers so you, you do have a range of people you know who actually fall short of paying mortgages but at the same time on the broader level you are seeing Canada as a pretty strong uh, country I mean they have a very high uh, relatively high sovereign rating or credit rating of the country so the ability or the the ability for or the willingness for them to actually default is actually much lower than compared to the other other developed markets at least. All right, so I'm going to wrap up for you. Short sellers have placed 3.7 billion US dollars in bets against Toronto Dominion Bank in Canada. Uh, next on the short seller target list according to Bloomberg is BNP Paribas followed by Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, as the financial markets continue to assess the 2023 banking crisis, there is little consensus over whether the main threat is behind us or if there is worse to come. Now, CNBC's Jim Cramer says there's basically three different camps, three different ways of looking at this. Willie, what are they? Mm, So the first one is earnings collapse. That means um, many traders are looking to actually capitalize or they are looking at companies uh, having reporting poor earnings results which actually could cause shares to actually fall. So that's one camp which uh, Jim Cramers have actually mentioned. The second one is what he calls the defensive camp. So the defensive traders uh, are the people who actually start selling some of these defensive stocks like pharmaceutical companies, industrial and packaged goods companies as well. Um, And they... And surprisingly, that these traders will actually sell them just because they're perceived as too defensive. And the last camp is the big tech camp. So this this is the camp where people are just selling because uh, of the stock, which is highly um, sensitive to interest rates movement. Okay, great. A great overview there of the three possible different camps uh, following whether the 2023 banking crisis is over. Debating that question, I'd say. If we take a look at broader markets, stocks on Wall Street broke a four-day winning streak overnight. The Nasdaq, S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average, they all fell half a percent or more. Investors were assessing the latest jobs numbers. Now, the number of job openings fell to less than 10 million in February. That is the lowest number in nearly two years. What's the latest? Mm. So we are looking at, according to the Labour Department of uh, Job Openings and Labour Turnover Survey of or JOLTS, the number of available positions actually decreased to $9.9 million from a revised $10.6 million a month. So it seems like there is um, some cooling in the labour demand across different industries. So the jobs report showed that the so-called quit rate, which measures voluntary job leavers, as a share of total employment rose to 2.6%. So that's roughly about 4 million Americans. So the quit increased across um, sectors like business services, accommodation and food services. So this suggests that labour supply and demand are sort of moving in better balance. Um, Although this is still indicative of a job market that's too tight um, for the Federal Reserve. So on one hand, it seems like um, there's some positive news here to Mm. 
as a fight against inflation. But on, on the other hand, e- economists have also questioned the reliability of some of these statistics, given the survey's typically low response rate. So usually um, by the end of the year, um, the response rate for the jolts survey would have fallen to about 31%. So this would, is roughly half the rate just three years earlier. I think the big question for markets now is, are fewer job openings good news or bad news? So the, does this, again, go to the heart of what you, you just mentioned. Does this indicate that inflation and Fed interest rate cuts by extension are slowing down? Or is this a sign that recession is on the way? So Edward Moyer of Owenda puts it this way. He says, it's clear that parts of the economy are going to break. What do you think? Mm. So this is a, this has always been the back of the markets. I mean, the markets have all always have actually considered that. But strangely, and you know, since the start of this year, I think the markets have hit a record gain. I mean, year to date, you have the S and P which is up, you have the Nasdaq, and even the Dow. The Dow Jones also has been up, which is very very surprising because last year people were just painting all the doom and gloom about recession. In fact, a lot of economists are projecting you know an eighty six percent chance of a recession this year. But that doesn't really translate into the market itself. And right now, it seems like the markets, you know, based on some of the statistics, job data which are coming out, market seems to be reconsidering the risk that that the US economy could be about to tip into a recession. I mean, if you see, there are also um, institutions talking about it. For example, PIMCO, one of the largest uh, fixed income investor, they said that the recent volatility in the banking sector has raised the prospect of tightening in credit conditions and therefore the risk of a sooner or deeper recession. The chief investment officer of UBS Global Wealth Management also said that he is maintaining a cautious stance on growth stocks and that, according to him, a new bull market is unlikely on the horizon. All right. Well, from the labour market, let's turn now to the Elon Musk files. Yesterday on this show, we talked about in the morning how Musk's plan to make individuals and companies on Twitter pay for that Twitter blue tick of verification. Um, we talked about how big organisations like the New York Times refusing to go along with this. Today, we have fresh indication of just how the subscription service Twitter Blue is doing Really not so good, huh? Yeah, I mean, Twitter is... It seems like they're struggling to sell users on their on their new subscription product, which is Twitter Blue, and only about 116,000 people signed up on the service. I mean, if you see Twitter, they have hundreds of millions of subscribers, and to date, they have... Uh, Twitter Blue has only garnered less than 300,000 subscribers um, as co- as stated in February. And the additional 116,000 signups is really less than 1% of the monthly users which are currently subscribed to Twitter Blue. So even though that Musk has been actively pushing to get um, some of the accounts being um, blue-ticked or verified, but it doesn't seem like Twitter users are really catching on well. I think you know, it seems like people are thinking that, hey, um, this verified check doesn't really hold much credibility to um, Twitter itself because people can still, you know, continue to post. And at the same time, this doesn't deter um, fraudulent account from being made. I mean, you are only going to pay a couple of dollars a month. You know, anyone can still come out, can still open an account, get their account blue-ticked and still write stuff on Twitter. So how how is it going to differentiate what is a legitimate account and what is not? 
Yeah, good point, good point. And this is definitely going to have bearing on um, Twitter's ability to bring back some of the advertisers that it lost. I mean, between October last year and March, I believe Twitter's advertising revenue declined by 50%. So, you know, the subscriber base, the number of new subscribers buying into this pool, certainly going to have a knock-on effect on the uh, amount uh, and amount of advertising that Twitter's going to be able to bring in. Mm. All right, time for corporate news. It's up or down time, and we're going to start with Google's parent company. Company Alphabet, how's it doing? Yep. So Google is expected to cut down. I mean, this this seems pretty surprising for me. <laughs> I know. I mean, Google Google's revenues, you know, they make about seventy over billion dollars. But try to find a stapler. In a, yeah. <laughs> In Google, they're cutting back office supplies. <laughs> and they're expected to actually cut down on. Um, this is what they're saying: employee laptops, services, and staplers for multi-year savings. I mean, this is a company. Where they have many multi, they have multiple subsidiaries, make, generating a lot of money. I mean, last year they have been producing about more than seventy seventy billion dollars of revenue, but they are actually looking to trim all the costs in all the small little items. This is. Definitely a down for me, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is mind-boggling that a company this big, I mean, you don't think of staplers as office perks. (laughs) I mean, isn't this a need? Otherwise, how are we going to file our documents or even use our laptops? <laughs> Maybe they're trying to say don't use paper. But yeah, definitely down in my book as well. Google reportedly cutting back on office supplies for savings. Uh, it's all about cutting costs, isn't it? Let's look at Ford. Mm. So Ford's quarterly US auto sales jumped 10% on pent-up demand and also on the easing supply chain as we all come out from the pandemic. Um, this is an up for me as what Ford Motor has posted. Um, the automakers also joined other global rivals uh, rivals also in reporting a rise in sales and this really comes on the back of an easing um, supply chain disruption which had happened about a, a couple of years ago and on top of that it seems like there's no slowing down of consumers you know ahead of what we have earlier discussed on a potential recession but people are still actually buying or consuming uh, cars and autos in the US I mean um, Cars are an important daily life, daily central in the US. But at the same time, this also spells out that people are really not stopping or not holding back on their wallets here. Um, so this Ford Motors is definitely an up for me. Well, I'm going to look at it slightly differently. I'll give it a down. It's a pretty mixed bag. On the one hand, you do have Ford's quarterly sales jumping 10% in the last quarter. Um, at the same time, GM has overtaken Ford as the second biggest seller of EVs in the US, just behind Tesla. So I'm going to give Ford a down. All right, how's Richard Branson's Virgin Orbit, Virgin Orbit looking? Well, Virgin Orbit files for bankruptcy and is looking to actually buy out the company. So this this actually came on when the company failed to secure um, long-term funding to help it recover from a a rocket failure earlier this January. So um, it is announcing a layoff of about 85% of its 750 employees last week. So Virgin Virgin Orbit Holdings isn't really a big company. It Mm -hmm. has about a total assets of about $243 million and total debt about $153 million. So at first glance, if you see its financial position, it seems to be rather in a healthy position. But it's just that I believe they are probably struggling in trying to produce some form of profits for the business itself. Because if you look at it, this is a satellite. This is sort of a space orbit business, which is really out of the scope of, you know, looking at profitability. I can't really imagine, you know, how a 
company like this could actually make money. So this is a down for me. Yeah, definitely something you got to be long on when you talk about space, right? All right, let's look at L'Oreal, the French skincare giant. Mm, so this has this has been quite a while before um, L'Oreal actually made headlines. Um, it is looking to buy Australian luxury cosmetic group Ale Soap in a $2.5 billion deal. I mean, this this has been the largest acquisition for the French company in years. I've not seen L'Oreal in the headlines for a very long time until now. This and and the, 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 the target or the company which is buying is actually from uh, Brazil's Natura and Co., the owner of the Body Shop and Avon brand. So this is this is a very popular healthcare, uh, skincare product. You know, you can see across all the different shopping malls in Singapore here. And it's actually looking to, they are actually looking, Natura and Co. is looking to sell Aosop to L'Oreal here. And it marks a departure for L'Oreal because it is acquire, acquiring a relatively mature brand, which already has more than $500 million. So usually L'Oreal strategy is to buy smaller brands mm. and then roll them out overseas globally to increase sales. You know, for example, it bought a budget skincare player for just $1.3 billion in 2017 and then organically tried to expand it rapidly. So for L'Oreal, this is actually the first acquisition of a huge size um, in many years to come. It sees massive growth potential for the Australian brand founded in Melbourne, apparently. So I'm going to give uh, L'Oreal an up for um, attempt buying Aesop, paying $2.5 billion for the deal as well. Mm. You know, it, it does cost about $2.5 billion for some of that skincare for Aesop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Very expensive. And it's very expensive. <laughs> and have I forgot to say up? So this is an up for ah, me as yes, well. Yes. <laughs> 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 All right, glad we have consensus there. Okay, let's look at TikTok. Regulators over in the UK have fined TikTok, Willie. Do you think that's uh, contributing to, you know, whether it's up or down for you today? Yeah, this is a down for me. I mean, TikTok was fined $60 million in the UK for misusing kids' data as scrutiny of Chinese-owned app, as the Chinese-owned app intensifies. So this is something which has been quite controversial, I mean, as the CEO the CEO testifies against the US courts recently and you know he is he is he is a really sharp person mm. you know he defends really well in court I mean if you hear his hearing yeah. the way he defends the company and the businesses but if you pull back a bit and you see what TikTok is doing sometimes it can be a concern here because for me as a father of two kids I would be concerned you know if my kids are also using TikTok so I have some sort of bias here against the social media platform and I think you know it can be actually quite dangerous and you know with the lines which is coming out, you know, how TikTok might potentially use some of this data, whether it's misused or not, could actually have some potential risk um, for the kids itself. So this is definitely a down for me. Down for TikTok as well for me, definitely on the back of this news that TikTok has been fined for violating its own rules that are meant to keep children under the age of 13 off the app. Our next story today has to do with the uh, ongoing battle between Walt Disney Corporation and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, is likely a Republican candidate for U.S. president. So back in 1965, the state of Florida gave Disney special control over the land where the Magic Kingdom now stands. This special status has saved Disney millions of dollars in tax payments, if not more, though it also requires Disney provide essential services like fire and law enforcement. 
Well, DeSantis wants to revoke this special status after Disney criticized his social policies. So it looks like Disney are ready to cede control of the land beneath its theme parks back to the state of Florida. In fact, the Florida legislature uh, passed a bill to this effect. But Disney snuck in a clause to maintain control and it has to do with Britain's royal Family, Yeah, you heard it. You heard me right. Disney's control of the land beneath Epcot and the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom and all its water parks. Typhoon Lagoon, very good one. All linked to King Charles and his descendants. How is that? Wow, uh, this is actually very interesting because you can see that for Disney, right, they, they do have that love for Florida and noting it it is the largest taxpayer in the state and employs around 75,000 workers. So Disney is really, um, you know, a big driver of the 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 economy in the state itself. And the company plans to already make $17 billion in investments at Disney World um, over the next 10 years. And, you know, coming in the light of this, it's really another controversial issue here because on one hand, you know, you have um, Disney, you know, running its park for the longest time in Florida. But then again, you can see this, you know, very odd linkage to the royal family here. Yeah, yeah. So the clause actually, um, there is part of a part of the thirty-year agreement that has allowed uh, Disney to continue to sort of, you know, be an effective fiefdom. If you think about it, is that this clause that dates back to nineteen sixteen ninety-two? It's a royal clause uh, in Britain. And would extend the term limit for about decades. Okay, so let me read you the clause. It says, this declaration shall continue in effect until 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, living as of the date of this declaration. So it's a kind of clause that's often used in the UK when it comes to trust and provides some sort of buffer against perpetuities. So it seems like, you know, they're pulling out all the stops, the lawyers, right? Mm, When it came to the agreement, went through the fine print, (laughs) found a royal clause and said, Let's use this one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so very clever turn of phrase by Disney's lawyers. Disney maintains control of that the land underneath its theme parks, um, that it has this control for 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III. That's the clause, okay? So you can go out and you can have your cocktail uh, party chit-chat based on... (laughs) Then <laughs> you know what the clause is. All right. Well, thank you very much. She's Willie King. Check out his work at the finance blog Dividend Titan. Willie, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.